Also, hi. Hi. <laughs> oh, are we are we on? Is it yeah, on? or if it, it's officially. Oh, hello. Hello. <laughs> it's so funny that there's like such a delay on these because I feel like we it always sounds so forced, but it's just because like we just have to sit around for like 25 seconds until it actually starts. Until it starts recording. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's fine. fine. You're fine. It's fine. It's all fine. Everything's Everything great. is so great. So great. How was your week? My week was okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm sinking into a routine, mm-hmm. which is nice. Um, and I, it's helpful because I feel like I'm, I don't feel lazy. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm home all day and yeah. I'm not working. And so it's been like a nice, like this, I wake up around the same time. I have breakfast and coffee. I read for about the same time. I work out. I do, you know, like yeah. it's, it's settled into somewhat of a loose routine so that I fill my day with productive things instead of Netflixing all day, which was my yeah. fear. It's like, I'm just going to sink into this depression and I'm just going to Netflix all day. Yeah, I need to that's because that's pretty much what I have done. And granted, you know, throughout the week I'm working. Um I've also yeah, you're working and I've also been in quarantine longer. And so I've I had a few days at the beginning. Um but especially yeah. not like not working, I was so worried that I was just gonna do nothing all the time. Yeah. And I've definitely had a, a few days like that, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's been nice to make a schedule for myself mm-hmm. where I do other things. And I need I, to do that. I think that that would be very helpful. It's, it's very I need helpful. to just sit down and make myself do that because I do so well of like avoiding things that I know will help me, but that sound like work. Cause I'm going to have to think about like, okay, what is going to make me feel better? <laughs> yeah. And it honestly just came down to like, I naturally settled into this rhythm of like, I really enjoy having a lazy morning Mm -hmm. and drinking coffee and reading. Okay. So that's my morning. Great. And then around like 1 PM, I generally feel like, okay, I need to be active. And so that's when I work out. And then I, you know, like it, it just kind of like settles naturally into this rhythm of how my body feels. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of, I guess I've been trying to pay more attention so I know or so I can give myself what I think I need, if that makes any sense. I love that. I'm going to really try and do that. I think that sounds great. Well, so far it's it's going all right. Yeah. I am terrible at the ukulele, but I am working <laughs> on it. I love that. I'm real bad. I watch people that are really good at it because it's like the easiest instrument in the world and they teach it to children. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, my fingers don't work like that. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Feel How, are you? How are you guys? Um, We're okay. We're okay. I mean, it's been, <laughs> you know. One week until I me. Sorry. It's, we, we, it was a little weird because this was our first like full week of working at home. And mm-hmm. so I need, I need to for myself put into like, and you know, I've read that this is helpful for people who work at home, but still like, like you're going to work, you know, get up early and like 
make some coffee and eat some breakfast and don't just roll out of bed right before work starts. Like this week I think was kind of a learning curve of how to do it so that I don't feel like I'm just sitting at home all day because that's how it Mm -hmm. feels. Like it feels like I had a really lazy week, even though I was doing work. Yeah. Just because I was home, like sitting on my couch and like that I can't help because we like don't have enough table space for both of us to have a desk. So right, yeah. mine is just kind of like, I'm on the couch, which is fine, but um, I need to, you know, take real lunch breaks and like do yogurt during them. I, I have to say having a dog has been instrumental. Oh, I'm so insanely jealous of people who have dogs right now. Because she wakes me up around the same time every day. Mm-hmm. So I have to get up and then I immediately start my day with a short walk. And then I like coffee, breakfast, whatever. And then after a certain period of time, I have to get up and walk again. Yeah. And we have to go get outside and get fresh air no matter how much I don't want to. And it's, man. I think that's the thing that I need is like a dog to make, to make me do those things. Do you know? Because like cats, they're more than happy to just lay around with you all day. And they're so freaking cute that like all you want to do is lay around with them all day. 100%. I have a photo. I might post it for the week, but I have this photo where I was reading and apparently I was reading longer than normal because she walked up and she put her chin on the stool of my chair and was just like, what are you doing? May we go now, please. (laughs) And she looks so done with me. I was like, oh, right. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Because I would never set an alarm for, you know, three months however much time off you know there's there's no way I'm not gonna like yeah it's no (laughs) no yeah so if you're listening to this and you're thinking about fostering a dog so many places need fosters right now I was reading a thing that this is like a lot of shelters are having foster dog shortages because of this which is like the best shortage I can possibly think of I wish that was the case here if you're listening in Chicago and you're thinking about fostering a dog, there's a whole bunch of places that need fosters. Pat and Amanda fostered a dog for like a week. Brilliant. Because he got adopted immediately because he's the oh. best. Oh. He was a little pit bull named Ricky. Ricky. <laughs> and Pat would just send us photos. Apparently he was real dumb. And so Pat would like send us photos of like, at one point Amanda was like curled up on the couch and Ricky came over and put his front two legs up on the couch with her and laid his head down and just passed out. But his back two legs were still standing so that he was Sweet level angel. with the couch. And he just passed out. Pat would Sweet send us photos like, this is angel. Ricky, but he has no idea that his name is Ricky. <laughs> I love him. I know, me too. But he got adopted like immediately. So they, yeah. I think, already don't have him anymore. That's the thing that's going to be rough is like, if we decide to foster a dog, we will probably end up adopting said dog. Right, yeah, because how could you not? Because That's... I don't know how I'm going to say goodbye to a dog. I know, I That's know. That's the hard part, yeah. But also, if they get adopted, like... No, I know. Yeah, but still. I just get so attached. Welcome to Babetown, Reagan. Thank you, Taylor, I would also like to, I'm sorry, I was staring at my dog. He's speeding up. I was like, look at her sleeping, (laughs) nudging her little head against my calf. So sleepy. 
Um, what are you drinking this week? This week, I have a nice, uh, refreshing gin un soda. Oh. Yeah. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a Diet Coke and Ooh, soda. <laughs> crisp. Um, you didn't yeah. mix them, right? You're not having like a Diet Coke mixed and tonic. soda? No. Don't worry. Okay. It's just oh. Diet Coke. I'm just, because it, it's soda. Sure. It was, right. Right. Yeah, it didn't land, I get it. But, I get it. You know. I get it. No, I get it. I was just concerned that you were like watering down your Diet Coke. And I was like, that's no, no. things aren't that dire yet. No, no. I need Diet Coke straight up. Oh, have oh. <laughs> we have a new. How did everybody like the thing? Oh, yeah. Our new thing. We have a new thing. And we're really excited about it. And it's oh, our fun, cute thing done by beautiful sweet Ivory of Rice. Oh, shout so out to Ivory of Rice. You guys, you guys are the best. Are the best and Thank we you love it. so much for writing wonderful music for us. And it we love you. It has a spicy little it. fun yeah. little flair. Spicy now. And on top of that, yes. Taylor, when yes. was your babe born? <clears throat> Let me um, pull up my notes because I definitely remembered that we are doing a thing. Um, my babe was born in 1914. Woo, you are just barely going first. You really? past me. Mm-hmm. Wow. When was your babe born? 1920. Oh, cute. I know. Okay. Cool. Um, well, Reagan. Hit me. I'm have so you ever heard of Barbara Washburn? I have not. Mm. Have you ever heard of Bradford Washburn? Washburn. Washburn. <laughs> um, I don't think so. Okay. Who were cool. the Washburns? Okay. So Barbara Washburn was born November 10th, 1914 in a suburb of Boston. She okay. ultimately graduated from Smith College, and that is pretty much all that I know about her early life. Beautiful. <laughs> um, she began, quote, taking courses at Harvard, which, like, I don't think sure. that she actually attended, but, you know, like, they do so those, like, free courses sometimes, so maybe they did that back in the... 30s too? Hmm, I don't right. know. Um, eventually she starts working as a secretary because her mailman is like, hey, I know the job for you. You should go work at the New England Museum of Natural History as a secretary. And she's like, okay, I might as well. So she like goes and applies. She has her job interview. And then the guy running it um, was a mountain climber and the director of the museum. Man, I thought you were going to say that the guy running it was the mailman. And he was in disguise. Surprise! Like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he okay, was the director climber. of the museum and also a mountain climber named Bradford Washburn. And he like calls her for like two weeks trying to get her to take the job. And finally, she's like, "Yeah, all right." And so this is where we put like a big old cute hard eyes emoji in this story because Bradford and Barbara Washburn are the fucking cutest couple I've ever seen in my life. Shortly after she starts working there, they realize that they're a super good team and, like, also real into each other. So they get engaged in 1940. Adorable. So cute. So um, Barbara had never been camping before, and she marries this mountain climber. (laughs) And so she's, like, super... What? Did Evan choose this babe? <laughs> no, 
And I told him, I was like, you should research my babe this week because she is right up your alley. And so he's like over there on the couch, like reading about Barbara Washburn. He's like, oh my God, this lady's so cool. I was like, I know. <laughs> so, um, so Barbara's never been camping before. She marries this mountaineer and she like even joked later in her memoirs of like, yeah, you know, like I always kind of wonder if he just like realized that I was an adventurous person before I did and oh. like and just like introduced me to this thing that he knew I would love before I like had any idea about it. Oh my god, so cute. So, um a month after their wedding, <laughs> their honeymoon, they start planning a climbing expedition to Alaska. Sure. So, Why wouldn't they? So they had their sights set on Mount Bertha, which is a 10,182-foot summit in Glacier Bay Natural Park down in Juneau. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, quote, I had no mountaineering background. The extent of my experience was climbing a 4,000-foot mountain with a date right after college. That wasn't the best day of my life. It was hard work, and I was out of breath the whole time. <laughs> I, I feel it. I love her. I love her so much. Keep in mind, she's like the smallest person I've ever seen. She's like a little (laughs) bitty lady and like super tiny, just a real tiny lady. Amazing. And I love her. So on this expedition to Mount Bertha, there are eight people and she was the only woman amongst the people on this expedition. Bradford had like kind of put together this group and he like thought it was going to be pretty easy. So there are kind of like random ass people on this trip. Like, There's a 16-year-old who got sent along because his father heard that Barbara was going and was like, oh, well, if a woman can do it, my 16-year-old son can do it. Bitch. Hmm. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know. So Also, things are harder for us very small people. Oh, my God. Just wait. Just wait. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to tell you about this lady. I love her so much. So, um, So they tried to summit once, and they couldn't make it. So they had to turn back. So then on the second round, only five of the eight tried it, and they made it, Barbara included. Nice. So good. Um, She said, quote, I had no real feeling about being a pioneering woman on a serious Alaskan expedition. I only knew that as as the only woman, I had to measure up. Yes. Yup. So they realized that Barbara is so small and lightweight that they can have her walking across cornices. Do you know what a cornice is? I think so. So, like, at the top of mountains, the, like, Uh windblown part makes the snow, like, curve over. Like the the Grinch. Yeah, kind of. And so there's, like, nothing, like, holding the snow up. And so it's called a cornice, I guess. I only know that because Evan talks about avalanches (laughs) a bunch. And it's fascinating to me and really terrifying. But so that's called, like, a cornice. And so it can break and then cause an avalanche and, like, you know. If you're walking on it, that's bad news. So they would, like, have Barbara walk across these cornices to see if they could hold weight because she was so lightweight that it, like, wouldn't break shit. Good grief. So um, she – and she, like, talks in her memoirs. I don't think I put it in here, but I was reading a quote of hers that she was talking about how she had to always play it super calm because she didn't want all of the dudes to start freaking out. So she was like, yeah, I just had to always play it really cool. While I was walking Dude. across these, oh my god! So um, after this expedition, 
Bradford does an interview with the Associated Press, and he says that he was, quote, more tickled over Barbara being the first woman in 30 years to climb a virgin Alaskan peak than he was about the success of their expedition. <laughs> he was, I'm like, so more tickled. stoked that Barbara was, like, the first lady to do a thing than he was, like, he was, like, yeah, the expedition, like, we made it, we summited, but, like, also Barbara summited. How cool but is that? But did you see this sweet little lady? <laughs> I love both of them so much. They're so supportive of each other. And he's just like so hyped that this lady is as cool as she is. And I love it. So, um, so they get back from this expedition and once they're home, everyone around her that was on the trip is like recovering from the trip way faster than she is. And she's like, man, I still kind of like feel like shit. And so she goes to the doctor cause she got a little worried about it. She was several months pregnant. No, no. Mm-mm. And climbed a fucking mountain and didn't know she was pregnant. Good grief. And only realized it because she wasn't, oh my God, this lady. So they have their first daughter, Dorothy, later that year. <laughs> How they did not name her Bertha, I will never understand, but carry Honestly, on. I know. So this was the 40s. So the pressure was even higher on ladies than it is now, which mm. is insane to even think I about. I can't even fathom it. So she had to use dude outdoor clothing on all of these trips because no parka companies made anything for women. Man. Because women were not supposed to be climbing mountains. Especially women her height. Did she just like cut off the bottom foot of everything? It says that she used men and boys clothes. Oh, I know. She's a little tiny lady. So plus now she's got a kid. So there's like all of this pressure for her to stay at home and be a mom. But lucky for us, Barbara and Bradford were cool as shit. And so both of them were like, all right, well, like, we're going to keep climbing mountains. So they rope in Bradford's parents and hire a nurse to help take care of their kids while they're doing expeditions. Yep. <laughs> so 1941 rolls around. Um, keep in mind, they got in, they got engaged in 1940. Okay. So, you know. So immediately. Yeah. Casual, real quick. Um 1941, they start talking about doing the Mount Hayes expedition. It's another mountain in Alaska. Um, They were worried that they wouldn't be able to climb it for a long time because the war was ramping up. So they were worried that, like, they weren't going to have the chance to keep mountaineering during World War II. So um, they decide to go for it. So they leave Dorothy with Bradford's parents. Um, And this one was, like, purely for fun. Like, they weren't going to, like, break a record or to chart it because both of them were also map makers. So they would go and, like, like mountaineer these mountains. I don't know, climb these mountains. They would go climb these mountains and they would, like, map out the mountains because nobody had done it before. They lived in, like, uncharted territory, which is, oh, my God. So they are climbing Mount Hayes totally for fun. which I love. She was in charge of making sure that cornices didn't break again on this trip. Like that's just her job on these trips, which is amazing. So the next year they, she had their second child Um, during childbirth. They gave her lots of drugs because it's childbirth. Sure. And apparently they made her very vocal to the point where one of the doctors was like, I have, I have never heard such a quote, refined little lady curse that way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And she Barbara, told her that I she learned. 
She told him that she learned how to curse that way by yelling at dog sled teams while they were trekking through Alaska. Oh my gosh. I am obsessed with this woman. I so, love the idea of a tiny little lady offending a doctor. Because she's going used to yelling at sled dogs. She's screaming <laughs> slurs of curses that he's like, those words go together? Oh, so good. So, um, let's see, where was I? Okay, so during the war, Bradford is picked by the military to climb oh, Denali really? to test out new cold weather gear. So he's like, all right. It's real not safe, but okay. So his Bradford Washburn's ascent of Denali marked the third ever ascent of the mountain ever. Oh, my God. So after the war, he's asked to do it again by RKO Pictures because they want to make a movie to try and garner interest in mountain climbing. So Bradford's like, all right, well, I'll do it but I'm going to bring my cool favorite wife of a hiking partner with me. So Barbara's like, all right, yeah, fuck it. I'll go. So this time at this point, <laughs> they had three kids oh that they God. just went to go climb Denali. Like, Oh my God. So um, the idea of leaving all of her kids behind stressed her out so much that apparently she had like a stress rash before they left. Cause she was yeah. like so stressed out about the whole idea. But ultimately decided, like, no, this is a really important and, like, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, so. Was she the first woman to do it? Girl. <gasps> Did I just? Girl. I'm so sorry. Stop spoiler alerting this I'm story sorry. for you. I'm so sorry. So, they were the fifth, they, respectively, they were the 16th and 17th people to ever summit Denali. Um, a member of their expedition told Barbara to swap places with him so that she would be the first to reach the top. Everybody just loves this woman and, like, wants her to succeed and be amazing. So, yes, she becomes the first woman to look out from North America's tallest point. Gosh. Oh, my gosh. Another woman wouldn't do it for 20 years. Oh, my God. Yeah. I know. Dude. I know. So... Post Denali, um, they continue to explore. They end up undertaking mapping projects like charting the entirety of the Grand Canyon for yeah. Nat Geo yeah. in the 70s. It took them seven years to complete, oh and they God. did it um, aerially. They had, like, helicopters and shit that they were, like, mapping aerially. Hmm. Crazy. Um, so then they go to Nepal to try and map Mount Everest, but Barbara got really sick and they had to return to Boston um, for her to be treated. I guess she had like a rare blood disease. Mm-hmm. So um, they ended up doing it, but I didn't really find much about that expedition, but they ended up completing it and submitting like a regional map of it to Nat Geo. So I don't, yeah. it didn't say that they like summited Mount Everest, but that they mapped a region around it. They mapped. Yeah. Um, okay. So, in 1980, they received the Alexander Graham Bell Award, which I don't know what that is, but I think it's cute. That I bet it's an cool. award named that way. Um, and in 1988, the couple received the National Geographic Centennial Award. They were two of 15 explorers to receive it. Man. Explorers including, like, Jacques Cousteau and Edmund Hillary. <laughs> Good Lord. Um So, Barbara died in 2014. It was seven years after Bradford died, and it was days before her 100th birthday. Mm. Um, And she never really understood why it was such a big deal 
that she was a woman doing these things. Like she never really thought twice about it. Um, she called herself, quote, an accidental mountaineer, which is the name of her Aww. memoirs. Um, and my favorite quote from it, she says, years later, when the Boston Smith Club gave asked me to give a talk, I asked what they wanted me to talk about. They said, just your life. Ugh. I know. Amazing. And that is the really lovely and adorable story of Barbara Washburn and also Bradford Washburn. That's so cool. Isn't that so good? What a oh, good babe. let me source my shit. What a babe. Okay. Um, so Wikipedia was a big help. Um, Nat Geo has a great article about Barbara Washburn, which makes sense. And if I could get sure it does. to load, I will tell you who wrote it. Um, so the title of it is Who Mapped the Grand Canyon? This Forgotten Female Mountaineer, which like amazing. Oh. Um, it's written by Nina Stroklick, I think. Sure. Um, and then the National Park Service has a good article about Barbara Washburn, written by Eric Johnson, who um, it is called Barbara Washburn's Historic Ascent. The ADN, Anchorage Daily News, Aww. has a good article about Barbara Washburn. Um, it's her obituary, written by Mike Dunham. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I know. Weird, right? Random. Um, and then adventurejournal.com has a great article written by Brendan Leonard, the accidental adventurer Barbara Washburn. Precious. Under their historical badass section. Oh. <laughs> and that is my babe. I love it. Yeah. What a good babe. She's the best. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. It's, she's a really, really good one. And uh, I love her. I love her. Cute. Okay. <clears throat> Taylor. Yes. Have you ever heard of Hazel Scott? Um, I think yes, but only the name sounds familiar. Oh, dude. So I am not sure. Dude. Okay. Tell me all about Hazel. So I, I was initially concerned that you had done her before. Um, because of one specific fact about her. Okay. That as soon as I read it, I was like, oh, crap, I've heard this before. Who? <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> Sorry, she was just making a really weird noise. Um, but I went back, and we're good. We're good. And now I have a comprehensive list of everybody that you and I have both covered. Smart. Yeah, I so need to go through and do that. I can just send it to you. We're fine. Okay, great. Um, or I can make you go through episode by episode and make your own list. <laughs> fine, too. Either way. Um, So, okay. Hazel Scott. Here we are. Uh, She was born in Port of Spain, Trinidad on June 11th, 1920. Um, Her dad was a West African scholar, but he left pretty quick into her life. So who cares? Um, Her mother, on the other hand, was named Alma and she was a pianist and a music teacher. So one day, Alma's giving lessons and her student hit a wrong note and Hazel who was three years old at the time immediately screamed when the student hit the wrong note so the family was like ha 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 what a funny little quirk our daughter has that's hilarious but later she went to the piano and she plunked out the notes to a song that her grandmother would sing to her every day at nap time whoa 
Yeah, she just sat down as a three-year-old and figured it out. So her mom is like, um, hold up. Holy yeah. shit. So they figure out that she has an incredible ear and she could play pretty much anything by ear that she wanted. So Alma decides, okay, she doesn't want to be a concert pianist anymore, but she's going to dedicate her life to nurturing this incredible gift that her daughter Hazel has. And they're like, it's not like stage mommy. They're super duper close and they love each other more than anything in the world. It's the greatest. So 1924, uh, shortly after Alma and Hazel's father's divorce was final, Alma, Hazel, and then her grandmother, Margaret, moved to the States. Partially so that they can pursue further opportunities for the four-year-old prodigy that they have on their hands. Wow. What? Yeah. How do you do anything with a four-year-old? I don't know, but they literally upped and moved countries to, like, get more opportunities for her. Wow. Uh, so they land in Harlem in the uh, mid-1920s. Good move. Mm-hmm. So Alma initially found work as a maid, but she hated it. So she taught herself the saxophone and joined Lil Hardin Armstrong's orchestra. Because well, why not? Yeah. Well, She's like, ah, oh, cleaning is the worst, but I'm great at music. So I'll just like teach myself this real quick and join an orchestra. Um, so then she gets to know all of the famous jazz musicians of their time. And Alma and Hazel's home became a Mecca where like all of these musicians who would become famous hung out, which obviously was hugely influential to Hazel. Right. So 1928, she's eight years old, and she applied to Juilliard, which at the time you had to be 16 to gain admittance. But they pulled some strings, and then, quote, by Alma's sheer determination, she got an audition as an eight-year-old. And she performed Rachmaninoff's Prelude in C-sharp minor and blew the socks off of everybody. So one of the professors went to the dean and was like, hey, this girl needs to learn, but she's very, she's half the age that she needs to be to learn at Juilliard. So he offers her a scholarship directly so that he can teach her privately. What? Yeah. What? So How have she, I never heard about this person? It, I I have no idea. Um, But it's crazy. So as a teenager... She performs both piano and trumpet with her mother's all-girl jazz band, the Alma Long Scott Band. Wow. Because why not? So then in high school... Oh, just you wait. (laughs) So in high school, I think she was 16, she won a contest and began hosting her own radio show on WOR while also playing gigs at night and going to high school. Casual. Yeah. She still graduates with honors because obviously and pretty much immediately went to Broadway. (laughs) So she's like she's garnering fame at this time. But she books a gig playing the opening night of a hit club, which happened to be New York's first integrated nightclub called the Cafe Society. And that was what like boosted her career. So. Wait, this sounds, okay, that name sounds very familiar to me. Cafe Society? 
I'm sure that that has popped up in many other stories. I think, yeah. I think as we talk about like Harlem Renaissance people, yeah. Cafe Society comes up a lot. Yeah. Um. So she plays the opening night, kicks off her career, and immediately various recordings start breaking, recordings of her start breaking sales records nationwide. Everybody wow. is obsessed with her. But, and also, she's super incredibly outspoken about her quote-unquote politics, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. morals. Right. And so she refused to play for segregated houses. So she had written into all of her contracts that she could withdraw if the uh, seating was separated. Wow. So the point that she once had to be escorted out of a gig in Austin, Texas, by the Texas Rangers because she refused to play once she found out the seating was segregated and it pissed everybody off. But she said, quote, why would anyone come to hear me, a Negro, and refuse to sit beside someone just like me? Right. Oh, my God. I love her so much. Wow. So she attributes her strong willedness, I guess. To being raised by very proud, strong-willed, independent-minded women. Because, hell yes. Right. Yeah. Her mother and grandmother were queens. So, 1949, she brought a lawsuit against the owners of a restaurant in Pasco, Washington, because a waitress refused to serve her and her traveling companion because, quote, they were Negroes. And she was like, fuck that shit. So, she sued them. What? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, they did not include in any of the articles how that lawsuit went, but I hope she won and just obliterated that lady. Yeah. Um, so her piano style is really, really unique because she would play classics and classical music, but with a jazz style. So Time Magazine wrote one time that when she plays, quote, strange notes creep in, the melody is tortured with hints of boogie-woogie, until finally, happily, Hazel Scott surrenders to her worst nature and beats the keyboard into a rack of bones. Wow. Oh, my God. What a good description. I love it so much. There's a whole bunch of YouTube videos. I highly recommend all of them. And she was the first woman to play two pianos at once. Wow. So there's one called black and white where she has a white baby grand and a black baby grand. And she's in this gorgeous white dress and she's on a stool, like a swivel stool. And she just swivels back and forth and she'll play one and then she'll play the other. And then she has one hand on one and the other hand on the other and is just rocking out. It's so fucking crazy. Wow. One year during the Grammys, I think it was two years ago. Uh, Alicia Keys straddled a piano bench and played two pianos at once after giving a shout out to Hazel Scott. It's wow. So I am obsessed. Um, also, she spoke seven languages because <laughs> because of course she did. Because obviously she because is our queen. We all bow down to her. Wow. Um. They also said that her personality was relaxed yet dignified, and she owned the room. Mm. I mm. am obsessed. Uh, so obviously Hollywood is like, knock, knock, we'd like to give you a lot of money. And she's like, you bet, but on my terms. So because she had already 
become so famous, she could fight back with Hollywood's racist bullshit. So she demanded the same pay as her white counterparts. And she insisted that her name appear in the credits the same in every movie, just Hazel Scott as herself. She also insisted that she would never be costumed in stereotypical black slave costumes, maid uniforms, or washerwoman rags. Queen. Yeah. And they were like, okay, yeah, you bet. Because you're Hazel Scott and you're the best. Um, she ends up appearing in five major motion pictures. But during one of them, she had a problem with her costume. They had put her in a dirty apron that she was wearing as she's like saying goodbye to her sweetheart as she sends him off to war. Mm-hmm. And she kept insisting that she was like, no woman would ever send her husband off to war wearing a dirty apron. That's not yeah. going to be their final. And so it became such a problem that she led a three day strike against the, um, the motion picture company. And then the aprons were done away with altogether. <laughs> That's were like, Oh my God. It's not even, it's, it's <laughs> she's like, because I'm right. Um, unfortunately though, that established her in Hollywood as difficult to work with. And so I think that was her last film. Mm. But she said, quote, I've been brash all my life and it's gotten me into a lot of trouble. But at the same time, speaking out has sustained me and given meaning to my life. I just, yes, I love her. Um, so by 1945, she's earning $75,000 a year. Do you want to guess how much that is today? Oh, man. Is that like 98? Wait, $75,000 a year? $75,000 in 1945. Um, is that like $400,000? <laughs> is $1,065,111. Wow, I was way off. <laughs> I mean, we all would have been, but 1.5 million a year. Wow. Crazy. So this is like peak of her career. And she meets this dude who is a Harlem preacher slash politician named Reverend Adam Clayton Powell Jr. If that's Do we not... like him? Is he a good guy? I'm not a huge fan. Okay. But I will leave that up to each individual person i wanted to see how hyped i should be right off the bat he has i mean i'll be warily hyped he's a human so he's got he's got positives he's got negatives like he's not a total villain or a total hero you know what i mean yeah um he's married when they meet okay not cool right knowing where it's going you know right um and then they were really good friends and nothing happened next (laughs) um But he is making a bid for Congress, and he ultimately won and was the first black congressman on the East Coast. So that's pretty cool. Dang, cool as shit. Pretty cool. Um, But he is in the middle of running for Congress and his marriage. He's blatantly pursuing her. And at first, she was like, this is some bullshit. You need to stop being so, like, outright. (laughs) So married as fuck. (laughs) And, like... His just persistence really got to her, but eventually it gave way to passion. And then they were like, ah, we can't avoid each other, blah, blah, blah. So they have this super scandalous affair. He's the first black congressman on the East Coast. She's like the darling of cafe society. They did end up getting married 
and he ultimately asked her to give up performing at nightclubs. So she's like, okay, fine. So she starts booking the major concert halls all the way across the U.S. Because all right, I can't have nightclubs. I might as well take these concert fine. halls. I'm Hazel fucking Scott. Um, so summer of 1950, a popular TV network approaches her about hosting her own show, which at the time was bonkers. She would be the first black performer, male or female, to host a nationally syndicated show. Wow. Thus begins the Hazel Scott show. So it's entrancing because she's incredibly talented and it's her behind a piano and she's singing and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. But also everyone's everyone was obsessed with it because of her her personality. They loved her. They just they couldn't get enough of her. Mm-hmm. And again, you can watch all the videos on YouTube. It's so wonderful. But 1950s, a unofficial list of quote unquote communists is published. Oh no. And it includes her. And oh, it, no. it immediately turns everyone against her. Literally her name was listed because some of the clubs she used to perform at were owned by suspected communists. So she begs to go before Congress and she's like, look, my dudes, I have no idea who owns what clubs I get hired. I play a gig. Okay, whatever. Like, it doesn't mean I agree with all the politics of everyone. I literally just do business with them. Mm-hmm. And so Congress is like, ah, cool. Good point. Okay. Maybe she isn't a communist, but by then she was on this published list. So her show got canceled and her concert bookings became fewer and fewer and fewer. Oh, so around the same time, her Man, marriage... we haven't had a McCarthyism story yet. Yep. Here we stone go. Cold bummer. <laughs> stone cold bummer. <laughs> um, so around the same time, her marriage is starting to crumble because they're both like, like competing professionally against each other. They're in very different fields, but like for fame, I guess. Yeah. And so there's a bunch of jealousy. There's a bunch of suspicion. There's rumors of infidelity. It's just not going well. So they decide to end things. So Hazel moves to Paris where she finds a whole community of suspected communist U.S. expats. Mm-hmm. And she's fraternizing with all these musicians and artists. And her music becomes more and more kind of mellow. And um, I want to say jazzy, but I can't. It's not like jazz. Yeah. Um, eventually she returns to America and she realizes that people no longer appreciate like the boogie woogie style that she was playing. Everything is more Motown. Yeah. Um, so she still got gigs at smaller clubs because she had a whole bunch of devoted fans and she records a couple of albums, but she was not like the jewel of the music scene anymore. Mm-hmm. She eventually died of pancreatic cancer on my birthday, October Aww. 2nd. 1981. I know. And that is the life of the four-year-old prodigy Hazel Scott. Wow. Crazy, right? Super crazy. I've never heard any of that. Wait, what was the thing that you thought? Oh, the fact that you uh, thought she was in Hollywood and she refused to be costumed in like yeah, that's walk the woman rags and stuff like that because she had already garnered enough fame that she could say that. Yeah, who was that lady? Because that was I the kind of, that was part of the thing that I was like, I wonder. Yeah, I was convinced when I read that I was like, was oh, right Taylor's totally done this lady before. 
I don't remember, but yeah. I was also listening to, I just like looked her up on Spotify and shuffled her music while I was writing all this out. Dude, it's, I cannot recommend that you go look her up on YouTube enough. I definitely will do that. Crazy, especially the one where she's playing two pianos at once. It's like a minute and a half long clip. And she looks like she's having a fucking blast. And then as she's playing these two pianos, you can tell she's like looking out in the audience and it looks like she's thinking about something else completely. Wow. Like it, it looks like, I know this isn't her. There's some other like crazy Broadway performer that would count the empty seats because then she knew how much money she was making that night or whatever. Some theater <laughs> urban legend. I don't know. Wow. But it, it reminded me of that because she looks like she's focusing on something out in the audience and she's not even paying attention to her two hands on two different pianos doing two very different things. It's so cool. Yeah, I'm definitely going to look that up. That I'm sounds a huge, like a time. huge fan. And obviously she's a huge inspiration to Alicia Keys and other women like her. It's so cool. Yeah. Uh, so to source my shit, the basically I just retold you a article from the Smithsonian Magazine. Oh, I love Smithsonian Magazine. With other details involved. It was written by a woman named Karen Chilton who also wrote a book called Hazel Scott, The Pioneering Journey of a Jazz Pianist from Cafe Society to Hollywood to HUAC. Wow. Yeah. Uh, There was an article in the LA Times by Randall Roberts that was cool. New York Public Radio had a cool article on her. And then, of course, a couple, like, birth death details from Wikipedia. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's Hazel Scott. Stellar job. Man, I had so much fun she was on my list of ladies to do as hazel fucking scott <laughs> so it's like why did i write that down <laughs> that's great yeah it was a good time uh would you like to tell me about your babe of the week um sh- sure i so i don't really have <laughs> mine it's this hard. week is a little weird because i think mine is um, like FaceTime? <laughs> no, I 100%. I think, I think my babe of the week is more just a, like, concept babe, That's because... Totally fine. I have used FaceTime more this week than I have ever in my life, and it's been so great. Like, yesterday, you know, we've called Carson, and we've called Evan's parents, and my mom, and my grandparents, yeah. and... Like, we had brunch this morning with Megan and Skylar and Daniel and Mason and Dylan, and it was just so nice. And, like, I don't don't know what I would do without that right now. No, I know. I About once a week, I do, like, a cocktail hour with the girls from work. Mm -hmm. I obviously talk to you and Callie and my sister and my parents all the time and... We have about once a week, we'll have a, like a cocktail hour that ends up being three hours with Trevor's whole family yeah. from everywhere. And it, it, I 100% get it. It's just so good. Yeah. And necessary, especially right now. Yeah. I feel so lucky. I got to be in a conference call play reading yesterday. Oh, man. And it was for Tamar's, one of Tamar's new plays. Oh. Um, but it was like hearing, we were all on a conference call, so we couldn't see each other, but hearing Tamar's voice 
And she was like, you know, Gigi's on the line and these people are listening. And then Danielle was stage instructions and Frank Delaney was one of the characters and David Haynes was a character. And just like hearing all of these voices that I haven't heard in so long. Like I've texted Danielle and I think I've even texted Frank a couple of times, but just like hearing all of those voices, I almost started crying as Mm -hmm. we started reading this play because I was like, I'm still grieving Valdez. I will grieve Valdez for another year, probably. Mm-hmm. But it just, it was so nice to hear their voices and be all together doing a creative thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. FaceTime can absolutely be your rape of the week. That's totally fine. Great. Who's yours? Mine's absolutely Trevor. Yeah. I have gotten close to or completely freaked out a few times this week mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm home all the time and I have been for almost two weeks now. And it's just like, I miss hugs and I miss my friends and I miss going to a bar or going Anywhere. to work <laughs> or just being out in the world and I'm I'm starting it's starting to really settle in and I'm mm-hmm. moving through the process of grieving all of that. Um and he's been so so great. He's been so great and like just patient and encouraging and there was one day that I didn't realize he was freaking out about something. He had read an article that apparently really got to him and he was freaking out and I don't even remember what I said, but I, I said some I had just read some stupid meme or something and I was really excited to show it to him. So I <laughs> ran, you know, the 10 feet to where he was and I showed him and I just like couldn't stop giggling. And he just kind of took a deep breath and looked at me. And was like, I feel better. Thank you. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> um, but it's yeah, it's been. He is the perfect balance. For me. Yeah. And it's great. Yep. That's a good I one. You get that. Sure do get that. Yeah. Sure get that a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> um, also, I wanted to throw in here because it's 100% my fault and it keeps happening and I have no guarantee that it's not going to keep you dare. happening. Don't you Don't stop. Nope. No, no, I just want to put it in there. I'm not, it's not really an apology. I more just want it, it to be a heads up. I know, but just so that, you know, but um, everything is weird and shitty and hard right now. And I was reading a thing the other day of like, um, of like, it's okay to take a bunch of naps because your body is adjusting to a big trauma, whether you are realizing it or not. So yeah. everything is suddenly like very suddenly, very different. So mm. it's okay to take a lot of naps. Like it's not because you're lazy. It's not necessarily because you're depressed. And even if you are depressed, that's okay. This is a big, yeah. huge, crazy thing. Um, and that made me feel a lot better. Cause like I've always my whole life taken stress naps <laughs> yeah. and um, I've been taking a lot of stress naps lately. And I've, I've gotten to the point where, um, you know, especially since time seems to be just a construct at this point, <laughs> like, yep. 
doesn't actually mean anything is um anyway long story short some of these episodes are going to be late and that might continue to happen and i will get to them as soon as i can and as soon as it's an enjoyable thing to be doing um yeah but i it's not necessarily that i'm apologizing for it it's more just that i want people to know ahead of time like hey this is what's going on and Ultimately, we do this for us and a stress relief, so it doesn't yeah, make any sense to do it. Yeah, it shouldn't be work. It shouldn't be, <laughs> it shouldn't be an added stress. This is something we do to de-stress and for yeah. us. And it's absolutely fine to take as long as we want. Yeah. And especially, like, right now. Like, that's what I keep telling myself. It's just, like, this would probably bother me more if it was just regular life that was happening. And I was not adhering to a deadline that we had given ourselves. Um, yeah. But it's not regular life right now. Everything is the most extenuating of extenuating circumstances. So I'm going to go a little easy on myself. And that's, you been, should. that's been some work that I've been having to. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah. Also, ultimately, I want these episodes, if anything, to be an escape for people to mm-hmm. focus on the good that is and has been and will continue to be all around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if it pops up at an unexpected time in their week, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yep. So yeah. we're getting through it. Everybody's getting through it all together and um, everything is weird and, and kind of shitty, but there's also yeah. a lot of good stuff going on. True. Um, and you know everyone's doing it together so like if you guys are listening and don't have anybody to freak out to or you live alone and you want to freak out to somebody I I at least speak for myself but I also feel like I speak for Reagan like give us a give us a ring <laughs> one million percent yes give us a ring like everything's hard yeah. and everyone's having a hard time with it yeah whether they vocal about it or not it's hard for everyone so um chin up we need each other now more than ever Mm. and we're all here for each other because we all have nothing else to do yep yep so hopefully this episode sees you guys tomorrow but if not fuck off i'm doing my best (laughs) (laughs) 100 (laughs) percent Basically, just chin up, everybody. <laughs> we got this. Yep. Um, Reagan, I love you. I, I love this. really love you, and I really love this. And I'm going to go eat my weight in Thai food now. Nice. I'm going to go make some pasta. Tortellini, in fact. Fun Ooh. fact, we got two different kinds of tortellini, and we're going to cook them together, so it'll be surprise tortellini. <laughs> oh, girl. The little ways that you entertain yourself, you know? <laughs> yep, I Surprise do. Surprise, Um, I love you. I love you. I love this. If you're listening, we really love you guys and yeah. hope that we can bring some hope and a little bit of joy. Yep. That's all we can aim for. So we'll, we'll keep doing these. As long as there are cool things to talk about. Which there always will be. Always. Have a good week, you guys. I love you. I love you, too.
Bye. Bye.